0: Time for Plan B with Rebecca Davis, who's been conducting rationality tests on all sorts of things. Don't do one on me, Rebecca, I'd fail.
1: John, you know that I am, if nothing else, the very height of, of rationality. Always have and, been
0: and always will be.
1: Well, I've been thinking about this because, you know, Trevor Manuel has been going from media outlet to media outlet this week saying that the government's lockdowns, are, regulations are failing rationality, the rationality test, which is, to be fair, what many of us are saying. As well, but it did get me thinking about how one actually assesses the rationality of these regulations. And
0: does it advance the um, the motives for which the state of disaster was declared? I mean, that surely is the base and really only criterion.
1: That's exactly right, John. So. The question is actually very simple. According to the Disaster Management Act, the regulation should be necessary to prevent an escalation of the disaster. And the disaster, to be clear, is COVID nineteen pandemic. It is not, for instance, the economic crisis around the pandemic. So, even the arguments, for instance, that you should let the alcohol ban go because people will lose jobs, is not a is not a sufficient reason necessary for for lifting that regulation, because the regulations have to be about the pandemic. So that was the first thing that struck me, because there are at least two of the current Level 4 lockdown regulations, which actually are about policing. They are not about the pandemic. And those two are the overnight curfew and the exercise window. So the government's stated reason for the exercise window is that Police can then just watch people jogging for three hours and then they're free. But the, to make life easier for police is not a rational enough reason to impose that regulation. I mean, many people have said, why are police even watching people jogging? They should have many more important things to do than even monitoring exercise at all. So that does not stand up to rationality. The other thing, the curfew, the reason why police have imposed a curfew, why government has imposed a curfew, is supposedly because more people are returning to work and they'll allegedly be more tempted now to stop on the way home and socialize. There's no evidence that that is the case and there couldn't have been any evidence because level four lockdown hadn't been implemented when they made that rule. The real reason is obviously that when a curfew is implemented, it makes it easier for police because they can just stop everyone and ask them, you know, where are they going? But that again is not a good, it's not a rational reason to try and prevent the escalation of COVID-19. So I thought that was interesting. And then obviously, John, everyone is on about the clothing regulations for good reason.
0: Uh, Yeah, the the rationality of them is really, really hard to fathom.
1: It's incredibly hard. When you consider, for instance, one of the items is golf shirts. So it, it's easy. You just ask yourself, does wearing golf shirts prevent COVID-19? Obviously, it does not. So if warmth is what they're after, if they want to restrict the clothing that you can buy to warm clothing, then a more rational regulation would have been shops can only sell clothes of a particular thickness or fabric or sleeve length, etc. And I'm sure people would have had problems with that, too. But it would have made a hell of a lot of se- more sense. What is clear, and in fact, Abraham Patel has said as much, is that the list was compiled with reference to what retailers and unions wanted. That is not OK in terms of the Disaster Management Act. That has nothing to do. The, the unions and retailers should have absolutely no say in the regulations imposed during a lockdown. So that's not only is it an insufficient justification, it makes that whole regulation actually irrational. And I think probably definitely challengeable
0: in court. Explain to me the rationality of singling out denim as a material which is allowed.
1: It is thick, John, generally, a little bit thicker. Ah. And I say this because I am somewhere where I have very limited clothes and I only have one pair of jeans and I'm wearing them on severe rotation because my other fabrics don't offer me quite as much as warmth. So I actually can get behind that one okay. to a certain degree. Um, Are there any other of the current lockdown rules that really get you in terms of rationality? Well,
0: not me so much. Um, Well, smoking. I don't smoke, but I I cannot see that what the positive gains that might have accrued as a result of implementing a ban on the sale of uh, tobacco and related products – uh, outweighs the harm which is being done by them not being sold that um, alcohol there's a i've i've said from the beginning that there is a much stronger case to be made for continuing a ban on the sale of alcohol even though i don't think it's necessarily a winning case but i don't think it's possible to construct a winning case for continuing the ban on the sale of cigarettes
1: I think you're absolutely right, and there is a sense that people tend to lump the two together, the ban on the sale of alcohol and tobacco, but actually they're very different because in favor of the ban on alcohol, we have actual hard data of the benefits. We have harm reduction in terms of the the uh, trauma rates dropping. We have hospitals being freed up, and I know nobody wants to hear this because people want to drink, but that is actually a, a rational reason to maintain that ban when it comes to the tobacco ban we don't have any of that evidence and again actually we shouldn't be looking at the economics we shouldn't be looking at the loss of taxes we should simply be saying is there evidence that this is currently contributing to mitigating the spread of COVID 19 as far as i can see there is no evidence and because cigarettes are still widely available as everyone knows uh there's no indication that that ban is working for the rational reasons it was intended to so i would agree the tobacco ban really i don't think can be defended very much longer
0: and i i was reading uh, to move on to another topic i was i was reading something from um, uh, um a mariner earlier today who was talking about the number of suicides in the mariner community people who are being forced to stay for ex- even more extended periods aboard ship because they're not allowed to get off anywhere and that there have been four suicides in the last little while as a result of this. And I was fascinated to to read, courtesy of your link, that um, in Japan they're expecting suicides to go down because of coronavirus lockdowns.
1: And in fact, they already have. The suicide rate fell in Japan in April by 20%. And this is despite the fact that mental health services were not operating at full capacity, hotlines and that. And they've attributed it to a couple of things, one being the delay in the school year, because school, I think, as many people know, in Japan is a particularly fraught can be a particularly fraught environment, high expectations from parents and quite a lot of bullying. And also the fact that people are not having to commute the long distances to offices and stay for very long hours working at offices. People are at home with their families. And John, you know, there's this kind of popular narrative, which is part jokey, part not, that being confined to your home with your family is, you know, the worst thing ever and everyone's sick of each other, etc. And that's true to some degree. But I mean, I've also heard, in my personal capacity, of families who said, you know, they are really genuinely very grateful for this time together, that they feel like their family relationships have never been stronger, couples who say that their relationships have never been stronger. So I don't think we should discount the possibility that the lockdown may actually produce strengthened bonds for those, I suppose, who, who are lucky.
0: Somebody's just asked whether denim is thicker than Ebron Patel.
1: That is extremely Extremely unnecessary comment, may I say? Although I appreciate the pun, but
0: not the ad hominem attack. <laughs> we Don't do ad hominems. Um, if you're having an affair and you continue to see your affair partner during lockdown, naughty, naughty. On two uh, causes, you contract coronavirus. You can expect it to be exposed during contract tracing, except in Denmark, where they I will discord um, they will draw a discreet veil over your infidelity.
1: Sorry, John, there was actually a typo in my email. Now that I think about it, it makes no sense. It's Belgium, 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 which, which will draw a discreet Um I've actually been thinking a lot about people who are having affairs as lockdown begin, began, because unless you are a wizard of, you know, spycraft, basically, there's no way that, that that affair could have maintained during lockdown, I would imagine. Um, but apparently, perhaps in European countries where lockdowns are not as strict, some people have been able to maintain affairs. And in that case, obviously, the concern for these adulterous people is that if you are infected with coronavirus, then contract traces come to you and they ask you to give a list of everyone you have been in contact with. But yes, in Denmark, um, I keep saying Denmark, in Belgium, authorities have very kindly said that they will maintain complete discretion. So if I test contact, if I test positive for coronavirus and I'm having an affair, the contact traces will go to my adulterous lover and tell them only that someone in their vicinity has tested positive for coronavirus, which actually strikes me that although it is, you know, a real gift, to people having an affair, probably very impractical in terms of the efficacy of actual contact tracing. If you're merely being told, you know, someone somewhere you once met at some point has coronavirus. But there you go.
0: And then the real life lord of the flies.
1: Isn't this something, John? You are, I'm sure an avid reader of William Golding's Lord of the Flies.
0: I was many years ago, yes, not anymore. I haven't read it for a long time, but I did read it several times in younger days.
1: It's because there is a morbid fascination about it, right? It's the mm. scenario where these schoolboys are marooned on this island and everything turns to carnage, you know, it's violence It unleashes all these primal instincts. And now it turns out that there was a real Lord of the Flies situation last century, and it's turned out completely differently from William Golding's imagination. Really wonderful story I read about on The Guardian. And that is that in 1965, there were six boys from the Pacific island of Tonga, and they were at... uh, boarding school they were aged between 13 and 16 and it was a really strict Catholic boarding school so they were obviously itching for some kind of naughtiness so they decided to take a fishing boat out on a little adventure and all they took were two sacks of bananas a few coconuts and a small gas burner they didn't even think about taking a compass or a map but on their very first night disaster struck because there was a storm and the sail and the rudder on their small boat broke so After about a week, these six boys eventually washed up on this kind of rocky, uninhabited island. And there, they managed to not just survive, but seemingly thrive for 15 months, a year and three months. By the time they were rescued, these boys had set up a food garden. They had a makeshift gym. They had a badminton court. They had a fire, which never, ever went out. They worked in teams of two and they had a strict roster of duties which everyone performed each day. Whenever they quarreled, they would have imposed timeouts. At night, they would sing and pray together. One of them even broke his leg in the course of the 15 months and the other boys made a cast and they set it using, you know, twigs and whatnot. And by the time they were rescued by a British sea captain, doctors were astonished by, first of all, the fact that the boys were in peak physical condition, muscle physics and, you know adequate nutrition and that the boy had broken his leg had had it perfectly heal. So in essence, you know, we, we, we we assume particularly of adolescent boys, I think that they are always capable of the worst. But what the story rather delightfully shows is that actually they are every bit as capable of, you know, running this kind of harmonious commune as perhaps middle-aged women. I really love that.
0: I love the story too. Thank you very, very much for sharing it with me, Rebecca Davis with another plan B next week.